welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. We're currently teaching through the Gospel of John. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. So we are in John 15, and um, we're going to look at verses like 1 through 11, roughly. I'll probably dip into some other areas. Um, And just a reminder where we're at. Um, where we're at is that um, this is the night before Jesus dies. This is the night he was betrayed. The, Jesus and his disciples have eaten the Last Supper together, and they're, they're traveling now to the garden, the place where Jesus is going to be betrayed. And as they're passing um, through to this garden outside the city walls, Jesus makes very clear to them that he's leaving, and they're very disturbed. They're very bothered by this, and for good reason. And if you didn't hear last week, go ahead and download that. I think it would be really helpful for you. But, um, but Jesus' disciples are greatly troubled. And Jesus encourages them, we saw last week, to say to them, it's going to be better that I go away, which is inconceivable. Like, not in the Princess Bride way, but you can't even use that word anymore. Um, it, it's inconceivable that it could be better without Jesus being physically present here. But he says, no, the Holy Spirit is going to come into you and all the Christians afterwards are going to come into you in a new and living way that no one's ever even experienced before. It's going to be my presence living in you. It's going to be better. And now Jesus gives, in this passage, an amazing little illustration of what it looks like that the Holy Spirit has connected us. By dwelling in us, he's connected us to Jesus. It's like vine and branches. Take a look at John 15, verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes Sorry, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branches cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. For by this the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that your joy may be, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. And so there's this awesome illustration, really beautiful illustration of like a vine and branches. So Jesus is the vine, the true vine. We're the branches. And as we're connected to him, his life flows through us. It's a really beautiful illustration. It's a, it's a beautiful illustration, guys, of our union with Christ, that we are truly, when we become Christians, united with Jesus. And it's union with Christ is a massive theme in the New Testament that I only realized was even there a couple of years ago. Most Christians don't see it. They don't know about it. You guys realize that in the New Testament that we're called Christians three times, and yet we're referred to as being in Christ about 165 times. And a lot of times we pass that in Christ, and we don't think it really means much. But it means this. It means that you as a Christian are united with Jesus and a part of his body. 
And this is a very, very big deal, and I hope you capture it. Um, what does it mean that we are united with Christ, uh, that we're in Christ? And I want to look at what our union means. And there's three ways that our, we can communicate our union with Christ. One is that it's spiritual. The second one is that it's legal. And lastly, that it's life-infusing. So our union with Christ is spiritual, legal, and life-infusing. First, it's spiritual, and I think that's, it's clear that our union with Christ is not physical. It's not like we all have a hand up and Jesus is in heaven, physical body with his hand down, right? We're not united with him that way. We're united with him in an unseen way. But when it says spiritual here, it means more than non-physical, okay? Um, in our culture, we commonly throw around the term spiritual, right? A lot of people say, well, I'm spiritual but not religious, or he's a very spiritual man. Or, and in our church culture, we use it a lot too, saying spiritual gifts, spiritual wisdom, spiritual people, things like that, right? Well, in the New Testament, spiritual always means pertaining to the Holy Spirit. You guys realize that? So every time you see the word spiritual, you should be thinking Holy Spirit. I don't. Do you? I mean, how about when you see a word like spiritual gifts? There's spiritual gifts, not that they're not physical. There's spiritual gifts in that the Holy Spirit himself decides who gets them, how they operate, where they work. It's his decision. He sovereignly gives them. Or spiritual wisdom. You know, Paul prays that you might have all spiritual wisdom. What is that? You might think, well, that's wisdom about spiritual things, not about physical things. Like, you know, it's not wisdom about, you know, my mortgage or my marriage or my job. It's spiritual wisdom. That's not what it means. It means wisdom given to you by the Holy Spirit. And so it might be about very physical things, and it's about very practical things, but it's given by the Holy Spirit. So every time you see that word spiritual, or, you know, the Bible talks about those of you who are spiritual. What does that mean? It's people that are being guided and led and empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? And so when the New Testament spiritual, says spiritual, it always means the Holy Spirit. Our union with, with Christ is spiritual in the, in the sense that our union with Christ is through a person, the Holy Spirit. So if you could see the Holy Spirit, what you would see is that he's dwelling in you and that because he's dwelling in you, there is a connection between you and Christ in heaven. We talk about like Christ living in us and Christ in us. Well, Jesus still has his body. I don't know if you guys realize that. In Colossians it says he dwells in bodily form. He is in heaven, reigning next to the Father, the right hand in a body. Mind blown, right? So how is he in me? He's in me through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that connects me to Christ. And it's real, even though it's unseen. Because a lot of times we think, oh, well, it's not real, it's just spiritual. No, this is real. Ephesians 2.6 blew my mind years ago when it said that we are seated, present tense, in the heavenly places. Do you realize as a Christian right now that you are seated in the heavenly places? Well, how's that possible? That doesn't even make sense. Because of your union with Christ through the Holy Spirit, God sees you as if you're already there. And you realize that his opinion matters most, right? Like, this is the way God sees it means that's reality, okay? That's a shorthand for that. So if you're a Christian, guys, you are not just a follower of Jesus, though you are. You're a body part of Jesus. You're connected with Jesus in a way that can't be broken. That's really important. That's Hugely important when you, when you connect with this. So Jesus physically in heaven, the Holy Spirit connects us to him. One older author talked about how the Holy Spirit is like the umbilical cord that connects us to Christ. That we're constantly connected. And I was just thinking, and this weird visual of all you guys who are believers, the Holy Spirit's in you, connecting you to Jesus, and we're all in this room, and it's like, how do we not get tangled up, you know? It's this weird image I was having. I don't know if it's helpful or not, but some people want a personal relationship with Jesus that's private and apart from the church and not about a bunch of other Christians. Guys, it doesn't exist. 
when you got connected to Christ through the Holy Spirit, you got tangled up with all of us. Welcome. <laughs> you know, you're welcome. So um, the Holy Spirit unites us. And I love how the whole Trinity's here. You've got the Father, who's the, the vine keeper. He's the, the vine dresser, and he's going through, and he's, he's, he's pruning the vine. And then you've got Christ, who's the vine. And then you've got the Holy Spirit, who's the one that, as branches, is the one that connects us into the vine. And so he's continuing this discussion about the Holy Spirit. So our union with Christ is spiritual, and that it's through the Holy Spirit. Secondly, our union with Christ is legal. It's a legal union. It's a legal union like marriage. In fact, the New Testament often talks about our relationship with Christ like marriage. Our union with Christ, our connection with him is legal, just like marriage. And just like marriage, our union with Christ means that we are legally entitled to everything Christ has earned. Isn't that cool? You know, that we are united to him such that everything that he has is ours. And he has an amazing, perfect life that he lived in our place, right? So he lived 30-something years, perfect life in our place. And all of that righteousness, all that goodness, that perfect life that you look at his life and you think, wow, that is yours because of your legal union with Christ. And that's what Jesus is getting at in verse 3 when he says, he's going to talk about how to grow and how to be transformed, but he wants to set this thing straight. He says in verse 3, you're already clean. Isn't that great? He says, I'm going to talk to you about how you can bear fruit, but just know, you're already clean. He says, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. When we first received the gospel word, at that moment, when we trusted Jesus as Savior, we were instantly and permanently cleaned. Isn't that awesome? Because this week, I mean, you guys have gotten into things, I've gotten into things, and you can think, I'm not clean. You're clean. And this means a lot to me because um, I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian family, but I had a grandmother who was Catholic, and she had me go to these uh, catechism classes, which I liked, by the way. There were no rulers or mean nuns or anything. There were nuns, but they weren't mean. They gave out little medals if you memorized things. I loved it. It was like I was like a trained dog. And so I was like, I'll memorize anything. Give me a medal, you know? But it was cool because I learned, I learned about the Trinity. This is like elementary school. I learned about the Trinity. learned about the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ. I learned about the holiness of God. I learned a lot of important things. But when it came to the gospel, at least the way they explained it to me as a kid, was they said, this is the way it works. Your soul is this you know, perfectly white, beautiful thing, and every time you sin, it stains it. I'm like, okay, well, that's good so far. And they said, unless that thing is perfectly white and beautiful and clean, you cannot enter heaven. Okay, so far so good. But the way you clean it is they said you go to confession and you, you, know, you confess to the priest and he'll tell you the certain things that you need to do and then it gets cleaned temporarily. Okay? Even as a kid, guys, I knew it wouldn't work for me. I knew it wouldn't work. I knew unless I died, like I walked out of the confession booth and got hit by a bus. Like that would have worked, you know, if I had already done this stuff. Like, cool, going to heaven. But in that, it was like, it's going to be purgatory. It's going to be something else. But this won't work for me. And what's really cool is through a variety of circumstances I won't give to you right now, I ended up in a Christian school, even though my parents at the time were not believers. They paid for me to go to this Christian school. And in chapel, there was someone, and I don't remember all the details, but he explained the gospel very similarly. He said, you know, the soul, it's white, you know, it gets these stains, the stains need to be removed, you can't go to heaven. And then he said, if you trust in Jesus, it'll be cleaned permanently. And at 13 or 14 or whatever I was at that time, I was like, this would work. <laughs> like, this is something that can work for me. And I was like, I'll take it, you know. That's what happens, guys. When you trust in Christ, you have a legal union with Christ that you are instantaneously cleaned. You know, because our sin, guys, deserves God's wrath. 
If you look at verse 6, Jesus describes that wrath very vividly. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and it withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. I mean, if you've got problems with hell, you have problems with Jesus. I mean, it's a very common contemporary thing to be all about the Gospels, especially the synoptic ones, and talking all about the kingdom and stuff, and then deny hell. It's, it comes as a package. Jesus is talking about hell more than anyone else. But the good news is, guys, is that Jesus has faced those flames for those who trust in him. On the cross, Jesus Christ endured the wrath that we deserve. Jesus, that true and faithful vine, was treated like dead wood on the cross. He got what we deserve so that forever we get what he deserves. That's what the legal union's about. In Philippians 3, 9, I love what, how Paul describes our legal union. He says this. He says that you guys and me, we are found in Christ, not having a righteousness of our own, which comes from the law, but that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Isn't that cool? That we can be found in him. That it's like when you trust in Christ, it's somehow you get hidden inside of him. You know, people have talked about him being like a robe of righteousness that goes over us. I'm the same person in a lot of ways, but, but his righteousness covers me. And guys, if you're not a Christian today, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, Jesus offers this to you today, that you can be found in him. What security? Think about the judgment day and think about God coming back and judging this world, which is in desperate need of judging, by the way, as we can see. When he comes back to judge the world, that you would have no fear, not because you have somehow cleaned up your life, but that you are found in him. Where do you want to be found when he comes back? I want to be found in him. I think of him like a cave or, you know, like something to hide in, you know, uh, found in him. That's what he's offering you. So if you'll turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, you get that instantly. This is no religious story to where somehow, you know, if you work hard enough, we'll see. You know, a lot of religions are that way. Here's the list. Give it a try and we'll see how you do. This is instant. This is you can know today. And if you're a Christian, guys, you are already clean because of the word he's spoken to you, the word you believed. And so our union with Christ is spiritual. It's legal. And then thirdly, our union with Christ is life infusing. When I've talked about this before, I said organic because it's a cool word for life, but then people get all confused. So we'll talk about life infusing. You know, people are like, I like organic. I don't know, maybe that's a good way to go. Being united with Christ, guys, is by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't just mean that you're clean before God, but that, but that fruit comes from your life, that Christ's life will live through you. And that's what this illustration is mainly about, this vine and branches. It's about our life infusing union. That somehow when we come to be found in him, we suddenly have, you know, wires into him or blood vessels into him or like in a plant, you know, the xylem and the phloem, you know, we have this living connection, right? This living connection with Jesus and his life flows into us just like a vine's life flows into its branches and it's all by the Holy Spirit. And this is truly amazing, guys, when you get this, that we're not called just to be imitators of Christ. He will infuse his life through us. Sometimes it seems like, okay, you know, I believe in Jesus, you know, he's made me legally right with him, and now I've got this list of things to do, and I'm just going to try really hard to do my best. Christian life isn't about that. Christian life is about Jesus' life coming through you. Remember Paul saying that? He said, the life I live on now, it isn't mine, it's Christ living in me. He's talking about this. Jesus says in verse 5, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we're like these dead branches without Jesus, right? Do you ever feel dead? Even as a Christian, 
You ever feel like, you know, you got the pressures at home with your kids or pressures at school, you know, maybe you're a high school kid and you're dealing with certain things and you want to be faithful to God and you, you just feel dead? You feel like I can't do it? Do you remember what Paul said about that in Romans 7? Listen to what Paul said. This is Paul. Paul, waving cape, jumping from rooftops, big P on his chest, Apostle Paul. And this is what he said. Listen to this. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. You guys feel that? You been there? You go like, man, I want to live for Jesus. That shows you're a Christian. But I don't have the ability to carry it out. Um, Paul is saying that, and, and Jesus says in response to him, if he says, I have the desire to do his right, but I can't carry it out, Jesus says in response, apart from me, you can do nothing. You're right, Paul. And then he says, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. Isn't that great? That the way forward is to abide in him. And so we're like these dead branches all dry and, and, and withered and hard and lifeless and fruitless, right? And then, and then God, by this amazing miracle of regeneration and conversion, has grafted us into this live vine Christ. And then what happens is amazing, that as we abide in him, that, that Jesus' life flows into us and it pushes out the deadness, you know? He's able to do that. He is so alive. He pushes out the deadness. And you see that the branch turns green. And then you see, like, it uncurls. And you see leaves start to come on it, right? And then you see fruit. And it's like... Fruit starts to pop all over, grapes, right? That's Jesus' fruit coming through us, and that's because we're united to him. So as we abide in him, we can come to him dead. We say, live through me. And what is the fruit, you know? Um, Jesus, I think no matter what you believe about Jesus coming in here today, you can say that Jesus had the most fruitful life of any human being in history, right? I mean, we're still talking about him. We should be over him by now, right? It's been like 2,000 years, you know? But he had the most fruitful life in history, and people that are very secular will even say that. They'll say, you know, there was something about him, you know? Right? And guys, life is short, and if there's something that this week teaches us is that life is short. And we want to have a fruitful life, don't we? We want to have a life that counts. We have a life like Jesus's. We don't want to end our life, and, 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 and the story on us is, you know, he had a great collection of cars, you know? At our funeral, or oh, you know, she had great hair, or oh, you know, our nails were always impeccable, right? Or oh, always the life of the party, right? We want a fruitful life, right? Well, what is the fruit that Jesus had? It's in Galatians five, right? That's the fruit of Jesus's life is in Galatians five, because remember, the Holy Spirit's the one that infuses Christ's life in us. And Galatians five says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How'd you like that to be at your funeral? Man, the gentleness that guy displayed, unbelievable. There's something supernatural there. Or to say, man, the way she loved people was not human, right? That's what we want. We want a fruitful life, and that's the fruit. And notice, guys, that all those fruit are desirable. It's weird that we're so resistant to God. Because <laughs> he's like, I'll tell you what, you sinned a lot, you deserve hell, I'm going to forgive your sin, 100% right now. We're just going to forgive your sin. We're going to wipe all that out. Any future sin, we're going to take care of that too. And then what I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, is I would like to fill your life with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what do we say? No thanks. <laughs> That's insane. These are desirable things, guys. These are the fruit from Christ's life that he will have flow through us as we abide in him. So, um, how do we abide in him? Us who are already clean. We're already clean. How do we abide in him? 
Um, Jesus told us we need to do it, you know? We think about it like a lot of times we think of the Christian life because it's by grace through faith that somehow it's passive. It's not passive. We must abide in him. We must pursue him. Dallas Willard says that grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And that's a huge, that's the most important sentence he ever said. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And so there's great effort in the Christian life. And, but the word is really cool that he uses. The word's abiding. And abiding is something we need to do, but abiding also has a sense of rest in it, doesn't it? Because abiding means to remain or live in. So our striving that we have in the Christian life is to connect to him, to live in him, to remain in him. And then he causes a life to happen in us that we could never do on our own. You know, there really is one main commandment, and it's abide in me. If we were to abide in Christ, he's going to produce a life we could never produce on our own. And so how practically do we do it? You know, on a Monday, how do we abide in Christ? How do we live out of our union with him? I see three ways. First one would be in the first two verses. And the first way that we need to abide in Christ to see that fruit in our lives is by submitting to the Father's pruning. You guys are like, ooh, that's not the one I wanted. Okay, wait, wait a little bit. Verse one says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. I love this illustration of a vine keeper. I mean, imagine this, this, this Middle Eastern man He's out on a little slope with his, with his grapes, probably a small vineyard, you know, and he, he's doing his morning routine of kind of walking along, got a little smile on his face, and he's feeling along the vine, and then he's feeling up the branches, and he's just looking for areas of deadness, areas that will prevent any growth um, in the grapes, and then with the skill of a surgeon, he takes his knife and he cuts out that little area, right? That's what the Father is doing to you. That's what the Father is doing to me. Guys, he loves us, and he knows what he's doing. And and I think that's really important. I mean, we don't have control over how much the Father prunes us, but we can certainly choose to trust him and learn from him. I love in Hebrews 12, it says, for the moment, all discipline, or you could put pruning in there, seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. Isn't that important? They get trained by it. And so um, letting him do his work and, and being trained and trusting him, because guys, being pruned is hard. <laughs> Nobody asks to be pruned. No, maybe you do. Maybe some of you are at the place, and this would be awesome. You're at the place where you go, Lord, prune me any way you want. Perhaps you'll be at, the, you'll be at that point even by the time I get done discussing that. I mean, that would be a work of God in your heart, because being pruned is hard. It involves loss. It involves pain. I mean, somebody that watched the vine keeper with his knife jabbing these branches might think that he's angry at them, (laughs) that he wants to get rid of them, that he's punishing them. We can feel like that. The branch bleeds, not blood, but it oozes when it's cut. It hurts. But guys, his pruning is an act of love. He's lovingly removing anything that would interfere with that fruit we talked about. And I know, guys, as I look at you guys, and I won't look you in the eye because of I don't want to do that, but I know a lot of you guys are either being pruned right now or have been pruned recently, big time, okay? And and Jesus wants you to know from this text that it's because the Father loves you. A lot of times when we're being pruned, a lot of times believers start to feel like, I must be bad, God must be angry at me. He loves you. Think of that Mediterranean or that Middle Eastern man, you know, going along his vines. He loves his vines. He wants them to produce. Um, 
more fruit. So he loves you. And I also think Jesus wants to tell you that it's because he saw fruit in you already. Isn't that interesting? The passage says that the ones that bear fruit, he prunes that they might bear more fruit. He didn't prune you because you didn't have fruit. He saw your fruit and wanted you to have more fruit. Okay, so he's recognizing your fruit. It says in Hebrews, in the, in the passage that Hebrews quotes, that he disciplines those he delights in. Isn't that awesome? He doesn't discipline those he's annoyed with. He prunes those that he delights in, guys. Jesus wants you to also see that it's going to be worth it. You know, when I read those fruit of the Spirit, you were like, yes, give me those. And yet pruning is the path. Remember Hebrews 12, all Discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness by those who've been trained by it. And it's that fruit in Galatians 5. And guys, I also want to encourage you, the fruit's already there. I mean, I see it already coming forth from you being pruned. Even in your time of difficulty or your doubts, your struggles, the fruit is already there. Okay, so, um, so it's by submitting to his, his, his pruning. We also abide in him and see his life flow through us more by submitting to his words. Take a look at verse 7, just the beginning. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Guys, we're like these branches that have been connected to a vine, and we're, we're designed to, to absorb or to, to consume the nutrients that flow from that vine. You know, like the sap, right, that comes into the, into the branches. Christ's word is that for us. We need to feed on Christ in his word. Notice that he says, my words abide in you. They're internalized, right? We don't get internalized just by a quick read. We don't get internalized just by Sunday morning. We get internalized by a lifestyle of meditation and soaking and steeping and absorbing and, and communing with him in his word. It's internalized. And it's like that sap that runs into us. And, and when we stop soaking that up, what happens? Well, we dry up and, our, and, and our, we st- start bearing a lot less fruit, right? Is it ever feel dried up? I was reading this thing. Um, uh, you know, you've heard before, you know, if you go hiking, you need to drink lots of water. And um, if you start to feel thirsty, it's too late, you're already dehydrated. Turns out it's not true. But I thought it was a really good illustration, which is that when we start to feel dried up, we're already have gone too long, right, in, 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 in taking in his word. Look at, listen to Psalm uh, 119, verse 25. It says, my soul clings to dust because, uh, it says, my soul links to, clings to dust. Give me life according to your word. I love that. Give me life according to your word. My soul's clinging to dust. Guys, so many of us spend so much of our week trying to survive without feeding on the vine. We need to feed. You know, like that little branch, we need to like be absorbing that from him. I'd say if you're in that situation, start with Psalm 118. He's great because the Psalm 118 guy, we don't know who he was, loves the word of God. And if you're in a place where you're like, I need that, I know I need it, I want to want it, but I don't, start there. You'd be amazed by that guy. Um, thirdly, we need to submit to, to God in prayer to abide in him. Prayer, guys, is vital to abiding in Christ. I had this mentor, um, and I don't know how old he is. Every time I bring him up, I tell you he's very old. I don't really know. I would imagine late 80s or something like that. His name's Will. He's been an amazing mentor to me. His big thing is all about abiding in Christ. We can talk about anything, and he's like, yeah, but what about abiding in Christ? You know, it doesn't matter what we're talking about. I'm like, oh, he drives a motorcycle too, which is really cool. So show up to Carnitas. He pulls up on a motorcycle. He's got to be like 86, 87, something like that. And I'm like, is that your motorcycle? He's like, yeah. He's like, I got a bunch of them. He's like, oh, okay. 
And then he's like, hey, what about abiding in Christ? You know, <laughs> it's like that with him. And what he taught me is he taught me how he prays. You ever ask older believers how they pray? I feel like that's a core part of discipleship. And we don't talk. You say you got to pray. Well, how do you pray? What does it sound like when you pray for that? Those are great questions to ask somebody that's mentoring you. And he said this. He said, the way he prays in the morning is, Father, apart from you, it can do nothing. And then he says, give me Jesus's eyes and ears for people today. Help me to hear and see people the way Christ hears and sees them. That would change everything right there, wouldn't it? Like if you just do that work, a lot of stuff takes care of itself. And then he would say this, Father, give me Jesus's thoughts and emotions for people. Give me his mind and his heart for people. Notice what Will's doing is he's not just saying, help me to do good things today. He's saying, help me to see and understand and think about things the way Christ does. How, why can he do that? He can do that because he knows he's united with Christ. And because we're united with Christ by the Spirit, Jesus' actual thoughts, emotions, feelings, the way he thinks can flow into us. It's not just help me think like him. Help me think his thoughts. It's what abiding gives us. And then he says, you know, pray directly for the fruit of the Spirit. Pray for love and joy and peace and patience in the others. You think about love, and in verse 12, the, the great commandment that Jesus gives to us before he goes is he says, love one another, right? Love one another as I have loved you. And then if you look in verse 10, it says that we can actually abide in Jesus' love. And so when we find it hard to love other people, the prayer should be, Father, give me Jesus' love for this person. I'm open to you infusing Jesus' love for this person. You guys know that Paul actually experienced this? If you, if you want to turn there, it's a cool passage for you to mark. It's Philippians 1.8. And Paul says this to the Philippians. If you really read it, you're like, that's a big claim. He says this, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affections of Christ Jesus. You think, you're exaggerating. But then you read, he says, for God is my witness. Okay, he's not exaggerating. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affections of Christ Jesus. So Paul, because of the way he abided in Christ, because of his union with Christ, was actually able to feel the emotions, the love, the joy, the affections for these people that Jesus had. How'd you like that? I mean, that's a lot better than help me not kill my kids, right? <laughs> or help me tolerate my spouse, or help me deal with these friends at school that are you know, doing this, help me to have Jesus's love for them. We can abide in his love. We can ask for that. Paul experienced that. And that's a cool thing, too, because if you think about, like, the Christians that you love the best, like, that you love the most, you realize that that's a little bit of Jesus's love for them. And then you can flip that back around and go, Jesus loves me like that, but a lot more. Isn't that cool? I just love that. We can have his love. What about his joy? Look at verse 11. See, he says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. Isn't that cool? He doesn't say, I'm hoping you have joy full. I hope you're happy and things like that. He says, I'm saying these things so you can actually experience my joy. You guys realize in Hebrews 1, it says that he is in a place of joy above all of his companions, is what God says about him. That he is the most joyful of all beings. Jesus is right now. You guys realize that, like, in last week, I didn't have time to mention it, but he said, hey, I'm going away, and he says, it's going to be better for you. But he, did, he also mentioned, it's going to be better for me. <laughs> he said, you should be happy for me. I'm going to the Father. 
Right now, Jesus is the happiest of all beings in the universe, and he will share that joy with us. And so we can pray for that, that Jesus' very joy would pour into our hearts. Or what about peace? What about peace? What about when we're afraid? What about when we're anxious? What about when we're in inner turmoil? We can pray for his peace. You know, my mentor said, you know, we should not just pray that he would still our hearts. We should pray that that God would give us Jesus' peace. Because you know what? Jesus has strong emotions about all the things that are going on. But one is, he's not afraid. Jesus is not in heaven wringing his hands. He's not like, you know, freaked out about things. He is at perfect peace with our situation. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows the perfect uh, ending that's coming. And he has perfect peace and he can share that with us. Isn't that cool? It's not just calm down. It's God, give me Jesus's peace. And we can do that with all the other fruit of the spirit. You're probably worried I was gonna do them all. Guys, if you're a Christian, you're in Christ. And Christ has promised to live through you if you will seek it. The one thing we need to do every day is abide in him. Because guys, how are you going to love your spouse through a difficult marriage? How are you going to have joy in trials? How are you going to endure financial hardship with peace? How are you going to discipline your children with patience? How are you going to engage difficult coworkers with kindness? How are you going to keep your commitments with faithfulness? How are you going to confront your friends with gentleness? How are you going to face sexual temptation with self-control? You know what self-help teaches you in New Age? You've got the power within yourself to help yourself. You know what Jesus says? A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. It's hopeless. Religions say, you know what they say? Try harder. You know what Jesus says? Abide in me. Guys, this is good news. This is good news that God himself, Jesus himself, will live through you. We just have to learn how to seek it. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you so much for this, this news, and we know that this is the solution in ourselves as we sit alone in our room. This is our solution as we engage with friends and enemies. This is our solution at work, at school. This is our solution in our families and our marriages. Lord, this is a solution to our nation. The solution to our nation would be that people would come to trust in your son and that your son himself would live through us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would make us faithful. You'd make us faithful to communicate that message to others, Lord. We are so unworthy even to untie your son's sandals. And yet you've made a way for us to be united with him, to be clean, to be found in him, to experience his life through us. Father, show us how to tap in more and more to that. Help us to draw near. Help us to not be resistant. Lord, we, so often we, we keep our distance and we're resistant when you offer a new life. And Father, once again, we pray that you'd heal our land. We pray that you'd make the church to continue to be the city on a hill, the place where natural enemies dwell together in one family. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at cupgrace.org slash Menifee.